Hi everyone, David Harris with you here for Criminal Injustice. Now you all know that I'm so, so happy to have that day job as professor of law at the University of Pittsburgh School of Law. You may or may not know that I have another hat that I sometimes wear too. I am the legal analyst for station WESA Public Radio in Pittsburgh. I love doing that. I appear on their air a lot. I help them with stories. And most recently, I appeared on The Confluence. That's their daily public affairs show uh, hosted by Kevin Gavin. And he and I talked on August 5 about a whole smorgasbord of Pennsylvania legal developments, but it was all cast in broad terms that I think you'll get something out of. In addition, we also covered first up the Department of Justice of the United States reinstituting the federal death penalty. So here I am with host Kevin Gavin on August 5th on The Confluence. The producer of The Confluence is our own Megan Harris. There have been several interesting legal developments in recent days that could have implications across the nation and especially in Pennsylvania. We're going to sort them out with WESA's legal analyst, David Harris. He's a professor of law at the University of Pittsburgh. He's host of the podcast, Criminal Injustice. Hello, David. Great to be with you, Kevin. U.S. Attorney General William Barr has ordered the Federal Bureau of Prisons to resume executing death row inmates after 16 years. David, remind us why there had been a halt on these federal executions. The federal executions were halted because there was insufficient evidence of having a protocol for execution through lethal injection that would meet federal constitutional standards. And this has been a problem in a lot of states that use the death penalty as well. There is now a protocol in place ordered by the attorney general for a lethal injection death that is used in several of the states that has been approved. It is a single drug, and the lack of a drug is why it stopped, and now it will be resumed. The means of lethal injection that had been used that were stopped. Was that uh, cruel and unusual punishment? Is that, that how it was? Fun? Yes, that was the basic argument. There's also been trouble with getting uh, a drug cocktail that would pass constitutional muster because a number of the companies that made these drugs were in Europe and they were refusing to sell them for execution purposes in the United States. Because the countries where they're located don't have the death penalty? They not only don't have it, they're against it. The European Union is, uh, bans it. So it, it, it became very, very difficult to find lethal injection drugs uh, to carry it out. One other thing the U.S. Attorney General ordered was that the executions be set up for five individuals who have uh, exhausted all their appeals. Can we expect more to come now that uh, Mr. Barr has made this decision? Oh, I think there's every reason to expect that. Um, He selected five particularly heinous cases. I don't think that was an accident. All of these executions have been on the books for some time with just no order to carry them out. David, Pittsburgh has one person facing federal charges right now. If Robert Bowers is convicted, the alleged shooter who killed 11 people at the Tree of Life synagogue last year, he could qualify for the death penalty, correct? Absolutely. He would qualify based on the statutory criteria that are in the law, uh, but there is a further decision-making process 
Uh, it will sort of depend uh, in large part on what happens here on the ground in Pittsburgh with our U.S. Attorney's Office, and they make the initial decision, and then it's carried up the chain. Even if he is convicted, any possible execution would be probably years away because of the appeal process? Yes, it, that's likely. Um, it also depends on the circumstances of the conviction, because uh, we did hear some whispers uh, not long ago here in Pittsburgh that there might be a plea deal in the works uh, that might uh, uh, essentially take the death penalty out of the case for a plea of guilty to all the top charges. David, a district judge in Erie County is suspected of having wrongly charged nearly 900 people during a three-year period. Judge Brenda Nichols is now under fire from Auditor General Eugene DePasquale. Catch us up on what Judge Nichols is accused of doing. Well, Judge Nichols is no longer on the bench. She was defeated in her bid for a third six-year term as a district judge. What she did was to take what are customarily debts that are handled in civil court. If, if, if I owe you money and I refuse to pay, you can sue me. Everybody knows that. It's done all the time. What she was doing was instead of having these complaints filed in civil court, she was essentially charging them as criminal matters. And that is a way to assist the person or business that holds the debt by saving them the civil court filing fee but at the same time, you stand to uh, uh, increase the pressure on the person who's in debt to pay up. Essentially, it's debtor's prison. According to the Auditor General, some of the amounts owed were as little as $7 for a school lunch account yes. and overdue library book fees. Yeah, just ridiculous stuff. District courts in Pennsylvania are set up so the judges don't have to be lawyers. And this judge was not a lawyer. They take 30 days of training. Now, some judges who are not lawyers but take that training, they can do a fine job. And some judges in this office who are lawyers might not do a great job. But you'd hope that somebody somewhere would realize that taking people to criminal court over a $7 library fine, that there was something wrong with that. Do we know she benefited? There is nothing in the record that I've seen that indicates that she benefited. It did save the people holding the debts those filing fees, uh, and that shortchanged the state by some 20 thousand dollars But that's really the smallest part of the damage here. You have people ending up with criminal records, and they didn't even know it. What's the implication of that? That can affect you in job searching? And Absolutely, other- it can. And uh, the way that this all came to light, in fact, was somebody getting a job or applying for a job and the employer found a criminal record and the person wasn't even aware of it. This can really damage people's lives and careers. Do they have any recourse? Well, in order to erase, essentially, a criminal conviction, you have one of two ways of doing it. You've got to go back to court and say that this was wrong. Uh, and that's going to be hard to do without legal representation and so forth. Or in certain limited circumstances, you can get your record expunged. If it was me, I would want to go back to court and have this taken off the record, have it reversed and cleaned up. But this isn't an easy process, and it's an individual process usually. But this is really uncharted territory. Uh, the judge could be disciplined as a judge if she were still a judge and could be disciplined as a lawyer if she were a lawyer. She's neither anymore. So 
Any repercussions for her? I wouldn't think so. I mean, she's really beyond the reach of the system unless there's some evidence that she herself committed some kind of a crime or benefited in some way. And I know of no evidence of that. Our guest on The Confluence is WESA's legal analyst, David Harris. David, the state attorney general is trying to convince firearms dealers and police precincts to do a more effective job tracking guns. Aren't police departments required to enter information about uh, guns used in a crime into a state database already? Yes, there is such a requirement. Uh, Up to this point, they've been able to do it by putting it in the database electronically or sending it to the state attorney general's office in regular mail. And there's a huge backlog of these paper uh, uh, pieces of information. What the attorney general is proposing is that everybody in the state do this, every law enforcement agency, and there's been spotty compliance up to this point, as, as far as I know, including the attorney general's office itself. So he wants to get everybody doing it. And then number two, he wants to get everybody doing it electronically so it will be much faster. Both of these are good ideas because, you know, we have problems in this country, but it's not the vast majority of gun owners that cause problems with criminal violence. It's a certain small number of people who are using guns, usually stolen guns or illegal guns or guns that they cannot legally possess in violent crimes. So to track where those guns come from gives law enforcement the tools it needs to prevent these kind of things from happening going forward. In his press conference, Shapiro was surrounded by law enforcement and gun control advocates. Are you hearing any pushback to Shapiro's track and trace campaign? I am not yet. I wouldn't be surprised, of course. There's always controversy over any kind of of, uh, gun effort. But it's important to understand there's a difference between the traditional ideas of gun control and ideas that are targeted at criminal violence with guns. Those are two different problems, and we often mix them up. Pennsylvania Department of Corrections has been trying to reduce the prison population by getting more inmates out on parole. That policy has come under fire after it was learned that five former state prisoners allegedly committed six murders since May. What's going to happen now? Is the parole policy going to come under more scrutiny? Well, it will come under more scrutiny, and it should. I think if this were 10 or 15 years ago, you would simply have whoever was in charge shut the parole process down and parole as few people as possible at the highest risk categories. Uh, What we see instead is a more thoughtful response from Secretary of Corrections John Wetzel, who has served both in the Corbett administration and in the current Wolf administration. And what he's done is he said, okay, let's look at the data. And he's already uh, got data out there he's made public that indicates that the the levels of arrests of parolees have not changed. The levels of even occurrences of serious crimes is really pretty much what it's been for over 10 years. The problem, of course, is that when you have six or five or four really terrible incidents, everybody wants to make policy based on these tragedies. And they are tragedies. There's no doubt about that. But it's the wrong thing to react to them so quickly. But it seems like Secretary Wetzel is looking at it as an internal review. The corrections officers union wants an external review. Might that be sort of more reassuring to the public if the review is done from outside? I think it would be. Uh, Anytime you have the, you know, the question of who guards the guardians, you know, can you really police yourself? 
it's a legitimate question. We see this all the time with law enforcement. We want to have an independent prosecutor, things like that. Great. Uh, and I think Secretary Wetzel uh, might be persuaded at some point to have a university research partner perhaps grab this and look at the data. But an independent view of it wouldn't be bad. It's all going to end up before a committee in the state legislature for review. One other note. Former Attorney General Kathleen Kane uh, was released from prison Wednesday after serving eight of her 10 to 23-month prison sentence for perjury and obstruction of justice. Any word on what's next for her? You know, you got to feel bad for her as a human being, but she did something that the chief law enforcement officer of a state simply cannot do. Uh, She violated grand jury secrecy rules, and then she lied about it. When I teach grand jury material to my students and I I emphasize how it's all got to be kept secret, I show that picture of her leaving court with those fine chrome bracelets on. It was a betrayal of our system. I don't know where she's going to end up, but she doesn't belong practicing law anymore. In fact... She can't, can she? She's disbarred. David Harris is a professor of law at the University of Pittsburgh, as well as WESA's legal analyst, and he's the host of the podcast Criminal Injustice. David, thanks so much. Always a treat, Kevin. That's it. That was my conversation with Kevin Gavin on the confluence, hitting a whole host of issues here in Pennsylvania and nationally. Please do go to our website, criminalinjusticepodcast.com, for all of our bonus features like this conversation, for our news interviews with the most interesting people in the criminal justice sphere every other week, and stories of lawyers behaving badly. This is David Harris, and I'll be back with you next time. Criminal Injustice is written by David Harris and produced by Josh Rollerson. Interviews are recorded at the studios of WESA in Pittsburgh. For more information, links, and past episodes, visit criminalinjusticepodcast.com. Criminal Injustice Podcast.